this farm-raised, grass-fed It's on the record and off the wall Cold-pressed, unstressed Non-GMO, no cholesterol Organic and cage-free Certainly not PC We share the backstory and that ain't all It's always on the record Sometimes off the wall Hi, everybody. Welcome once again to On the Record and Off the Wall. I'm your host, Buzz Fleischman. And today, it's a very interesting show because we, we have a guest on the show. It's a singer-songwriter uh, who is well-known all, all through Florida and around the country uh, as his own greatest influencer and influenced by many of the top names in music today and has played and produced and written with many of those top people who we're going to name in just a short while. Let me introduce you to Kevin Hurley. Hi, Kevin. Hey, Buzz. How are you? I'm doing really well. Thank you for coming on the show today. Boy, we, we have a lot to talk about here, and you have a long and storied history in uh, acoustic music, electric music, all type of music here. I mean, you've got the South Florida sound uh, from Palm Tree Reality and Postcards, uh, you've got uh, some wonderful material here, so let's start going through it. Tell me about uh, the, the beginning of your career, because you've, your career has spanned decades here. Tell us about how you first started out. Let's start with that. Well, um, I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area, and uh, when I was in like 10th or 11th grade, my parents moved from uh, Palo Alto, California to... Uh, Pompano Beach, Florida, and uh, and then up after about a year, they moved to Fort Lauderdale, and um, and when I was uh, going to high school in Fort Lauderdale, I um, had a band, you know, with these guys, um, the Wizard of All. We were fun; it was great. And then uh, I graduated high school, and uh, I was living in Wilt Manors, Florida. There was a big building boom, you know. I was a, a, a laborer with a, a with a hammer, and they were paying like back then. It was like twenty bucks an hour. It was a tremendous amount of money. Wow. So I was living there, going, you know, working as a on construction, and I'm living in this house. And this was playing guitar in this house. And this guy knocks on my door. He goes, "You should come play with my brother-in-law around the corner. He plays the fiddle." And uh, his name was Jonas Goldstein. They were from uh, Baltimore. And uh, I met Jonas, and he turned me on to bluegrass music. And him and I started playing as a duo. And he goes, I know that I heard about this place called Coconut Grove. We should go down and check it out. And he had a truck. And I said, okay, let's go. We went down there, and the first person, we pulled into Monty's Conk. Oh, yeah. On Bayshore Drive, and it was just this little dinky place. And the first person I met when we walked in there, it was during the day, it was a guy named Bob Ingram. And um, did, did you I know that to, Bob was a singer-songwriter? I, I never, no. I mean, I'd never heard of Coconut Grove, really. <laughs> Actually, I think I had, but I never went there. And um, so uh, we met this guy, Bob Ingram, and he was really, really great and open. And we said, well, we, we, uh, we're looking for a bass player. You know a bass player, and he smiled and at me kind of wryly. He says, "Yeah, I know a bass player." And he 
It says right up the street here on uh, Rockerman Road, you'll find this guy, Oz Bach. And uh, so, and we, we later went back and listened to Bobby sing, and I'll, I'll talk about that. But right. we, went and met, we went and met this guy, Oz Bach. It turns out Oz was a member of Spanky and Our Gang, which had a bunch of hits yeah. uh, back in the 60s. Um, you know, I'd like to get to know you. Sunday will never um, Oz was a very talented very talented guy um and just just uh, you know a crazy personality just one of the funniest guys i ever met and you know he really knew about singing at this point i wasn't a singer i was just a guitar player and uh we started a band and we uh now, spooner summit? Br- was that spooner? spooner summit yeah yes and and we got we got you know hooked up with a band a couple different banjo players and uh, and uh, another guitar player, and we were Spooner Summit. We uh, just gradually uh, built up a following, and we played all over Florida. And uh, and that was like my introduction to you know the real music business was you know at going out and playing gigs and building an audience and stuff. And um, but uh, we we fell apart, you know, as bands do. And um, you know that's that's part of the mix of a great band because people move from uh, from band to band to, to see what works to see if they get the right uh, the right guts for the for the for the right band for yourself. But yeah. but let me take you back to before you came to Florida. But okay. you had um, a, a guy that you took your first music lessons from uh, near San Francisco. I I think I've heard the name before. Tell me who that was. Well, that was, you're, you're talking about Jerry Garcia. I am. Um, I had, when I was um, about nine or ten years old, I my, I wanted I wanted to play guitar. You know, I, I saw uh, Trini Lopez. You know, and he was singing "Lemon Tree." You know, and he had this this cool looking guitar. And I said, "I want to do that." That's what. I, so my mom took me to this downtown Palo Alto to this uh, place called Swain's Music, which was, you know, basically all, they sold pianos, but they had a, a teaching rooms upstairs. And and there's an old guy named uh, Mr. Jones taught me stuff. And he was teaching me how to play like Glowworm and all these dumb songs. And I wanted, to, you know, I wanted to play Lemon Tree and I wanted to play surf music. So after about a year or so of that, um, this friend of mine says, hey, there's a guy right around the corner that I'm taking from. He's fantastic. His name, you know, it's at over at uh, Dana Morgan Music. His name's Jerry Gar- His name's Jerry. Uh-huh. I said, "All right." So I went over there with my mom, and we talked to him. And and uh, he, he was he was a banjo player at the time. He was like the Bay Area's hottest banjo player. I mean, he was just like enthralled in, in bluegrass, you know. And um, but he taught guitar. And and after like about four or five lessons, I mean, he started to he started to you know what would become the Grateful Dead. He went out to play rock and roll, and he turned me on to another teacher. But what I learned from him basically is how you know he was very enthusiastic about music, and that's what he passed on to me. It's just you know, it's fun to play music, fun to play guitar, you know. He was so enthusiastic about music, and everybody was so enthusiastic about seeing him. And 
and, and the guys play. But uh, you, uh, after Spooner Summit, you moved back to California. Yes, I did. Uh, you know, I. Um, but you weren't there went very out long. To, I went out there. Uh, um, see my sister. I stayed out there for a while. I did come back to Florida not too long after that. Yeah. And um, and uh, and that's when it, that's when I got together with Slick. You know, to start forming tattoo. We had a we had a, <laughs> we had a, um, a friend named John Brown. And John was just a bigger than life personality. Uh, he was from Chicago. Um, he was, you know, pretty well known folk singer. Like, like Bobby was a well known folk singer. And John owned a canvas shop. Um, and he, he, there was a little bar across the street which he, which he turned into the Neptune Saloon. And. We, Slick and I started playing there with this band, and and uh, and then uh, we started a band with Bobby Ingram. It was called um, uh, Hur- Hurley. What was that? Uh, Slick Hurley band was that? No, it? no, no, no. It was called uh, Ingram, Hurley, and Slick. Right. Uh huh. And, <laughs> and on the posters, on the posters, they ran the. The uh, the L and the I are like a little bit too close. Oh, jeez! <laughs> so like oh, her, her Ingram, Hurley, and Suck. Jesus! <laughs> 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 so, so it's slick. I real mad about that. Oh but, man! That, but we but were that's still funny. friends. And then and then we got this gig out on Kiba's Gang called the Hut. It's right, right near where the uh, Marine Stadium is. The famous. And it was hunt. being run by these this this guy that was a, a University of Miami alumni, and um, we started playing there. And what would happen? We were playing there on the weekends, and, and and at that time, you know, there was no flyover bridge. It was a drawbridge between Miami and Key Biscayne. Right? You remember that? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and people so, had to get so into a boat. People, people would, you know, uh, Andy Hancock put a big sign out in front of said, live music, you know, cold beer, and so people started coming in to where the Marine Stadium is, and they'd find a little little hut where we were playing, and um, and as time went on, our band got better, the beer got colder, and and you know it just turned into a great gig, a couple year gig for Tattoo, and we just played and played and played. Yeah. Uh, um, now at that point, uh, you were drawing drawing big crowds at the hut, and and your performances uh, as uh, as you stayed on the, on the website were were legendary. Now you were singing a lot at that point, and Carlos Santana said you had some soulful vocals. That is well, really. What happened uh, was uh, after after the hut. We Monty Trainer came out because we were, you know, he had hurt. He, and I, you know, we all knew Monty. I had played in Monty's too uh, with my my ex wife. We played noon there at the noon time. He had big crowds, and we played. And so, anyways, Monty came out to the hut, and he said he came over to me and said, "He says I want you guys to do at my place what you do here," you know. Mm. So we we left the hut and went over to Monty's, and. Um, 
what had happened was Bill Simzik, who who was a uh, who produced the Eagles, and he also produced BB uh, King's BB King, and he produced BB's hit uh, "The Thrill Is Gone." Yeah, and uh, you know many many other records. Joe Walsh, uh, and just a tremendous guy. He built a two million dollar studio, you know, like a block and a half from Monty's, and he would he would come in there, and we got to know him, and Slick and I. Uh, ended up playing on his softball team, the Rock and Roll Rex, because Bill was a real big sports guy. I mean, he was a big, big Miami Dolphins fan, and, and we, we would play radio stations, you know, for charity. Mm-hmm. And um, so one time, Bill was producing Carlos, and um, he came, we were playing in Peacock Park, and Carlos came down, and... Uh, <laughs> And he played, he brought one of his conga players, and Carlos, turns out, is the world's worst softball player. I mean, he struck out <laughs> four times in slow-pitch softball. <laughs> but the nicest man you will ever meet in your life. And so I, I walked out, I said, hey, Carlos, uh, you know, we're playing right up the street here. Uh, please, come, if you feel like it, and you feel like playing, come down and play with us. And he did. Wow. Uh, yeah, he did. Uh, Bill Bill uh, set him up with a, an amp, and I and I borrowed this really old Strat from a friend of mine, um, um, uh, Robert Twilliger. Everybody knew him as Twig. Had this '56 Strat, and I got that for Carlos. Wow! And and him and Slick, you know, just you know, battle of the guitar. You know, it was just wonderful. We just fucking wailed, and um, and uh, for like two and a half hours, and we. So we come off the stage, and Carlos is like jumping up and down. He's really jacked from playing. Yeah. And um, and I'm talking to some friends in front of the stage, and just we're all just jacked. It was great. And um, and all of a sudden, this these arms wrap around me, you know, bear hug me. He says, "You sing so soulfully." And I just said, "It's like kill me now, Carlos. <laughs> I I don't need to live anymore." Carlos just said, "I sing soulfully." That's it. That's all I need. What a compliment. You know? Oh, it was great. He was, you know, he was very gracious, very, you know, just, you know, he was wonderful. And uh, Carlos has always been like that. Yes, he is. Very, very, very cool. You know, you have so many threads going from musician to musician and band to band. It's it's hard to kind of keep up here. But after that, Slick was offered the lead guitar spot with David Crosby's band. Right. Right? Uh, Not, not too long after that um bobby no we'll go back to bobby ingram bobby ingram who went that night that we met him that day that we met him we came back that night after meeting osbach came back to monty's and this guy sang and and like i said i wasn't really a a singer then but i heard bobby sing and he was like the first real singer that i was up close to and, and saw sing you know what i mean yeah, he just he had he, he had he was magic. I mean, his voice. It was velvet. It, it was it was velvet. It yeah. was, it, and he was it was so soulful and and so um, he had the craft down. You know, he could he, he took that who was ever there. He took them with him, and I just went, oh my god, I got to learn how to do that. You know, that's that's what I want to do too. I want to sing and play like he does. And so, getting back. Um, so Bobby, back in the day, was in a was in a folk band 
with uh, David Crosby called the Les Baxter Balladeers. And it was... Uh, that sounds Bobby, like an old Peter, Paul, and Mary well, spinoff, well, doesn't it? Exactly. Well, exactly. They, yeah. they were, you know, they were part of the big folk scare. Yeah. And, and um, um, uh, so Crosby, um, it was David Crosby, Bob Ingram, Crosby's brother Chip played stand-up bass, and this guy John... I can't think of his last name, but anyways, they toured all over, and and uh, and Bobby and him became lifelong friends. In fact, I I I I, uh, I when when Bobby passed away and we held a memorial for him, Crosby gave me a really nice thing to read, which I could read at some point for you. Sure. Uh, at, at his memorial, you know, because they were the oldest of friends, and Bobby was just like, you know. I could never have had a better friend than Bob Ingram. And so, anyways, getting back to Tattoo and Slick, uh, Bobby arranged for Crosby to hear Slick play. And so we we did a thing over at the the Coconut Grove Theater. The Fennelman brothers let us do a show so Crosby could hear us play. Was that at their their movie theater? Yes, right there on uh, Grand and... and, uh, 37th Avenue. Right. And um, so we played, um, and uh, and Crosby loved him. And at the time, it was at the time period where Crosby was really getting wrapped up in drugs, you know, like it was, you know, he was smoking that stuff. And so, but Slick joined up with him and um, played for him with him over a year, probably a year and a half. And when he was out in Marin County, um, uh, Crosby introduced him to Marty Ballin. And um, and so they started playing with Marty, and then it became the... And then they hooked up with Paul Cantner, and it became... Uh, Is that the, the Starship? The Starship, the next generation. Because Paul had left the, uh, the uh, Jefferson Starship, the band that he started. Um, and uh, so... While Slick was doing that, I ran into these guys that wanted to, uh, uh, they wanted to back a rock and roll band. Uh, they were backers, they had some dough. And uh, I called Slick, I said, oh, let's do it, man, you know? And so he got, he got uh, some guys from the Starship and some guys from um, the Elvin Bishop band. And we started the Slick Hurley band. Wow. Where did you guys play? Well, um, we played a couple. We, we really didn't um, play any gigs as far as we did showcases. Like we did a showcase, a couple in San Francisco, a couple in Los Angeles, uh, Nashville, and one in New York. And um, the, the ones we played in, uh, in Los Angeles, uh, we had a couple bites at you know, we, uh, the record company the, that the Almond Brothers were on. Um, oh man, the name slips me now. Uh, Phil, it was uh, shit. They liked it, but <laughs> uh, by the time the guy says, "Where have you guys?" We did the showcase in L.A. He goes, "Where have you guys been?" I'm looking for a band like you. Mm-hmm. But by the time he got back to his record company, the record company had been bought out by some big conglomerate. And 
made it, you know, they fired everybody in the office. That happened to me twice, two different bands. Anyways, um, uh, you know, we didn't get the record deal, but, uh, but we did a bunch of, we did a bunch of shows, you know, showcases that were great. And, um, um, you know, for a young kid, when, when you were young, starting out, you probably just, you, what a heady situation for you to work with these people and travel around and do these showcases. It must have been phenomenal for your head to do that with these guys. Well, it was. I mean, these were great musicians. Uh, the Slick Hurley Band, it was Donnie Baldwin, who, who um, he, he was a well-known drummer uh, in, in the San Francisco Bay Area. He played on the hit, uh, Fooled Around and Fell in Love, with with um, with uh, Elvin Bishop mm -hmm. and um, Tim Gorman. He was he, Donnie was the drummer in the Starship. Tim Gorman was a keyboard player. Tim had played with the Who. He played. Uh, he, he's in that video. Uh, it's called Eminence Front, and he's a keyboard player. And he was also in uh, John Entwistle's side band. Um, uh, Randy Forrester played with with uh, with um, uh, with with uh, um, Elvin Bishop, he also right. played with with uh, Eddie Money, uh, Daddy Ray Oviso, and, and um, Ed Early. They were the horn section from uh, Elvin Bishop um, and Darby Gould and Diana Magnano. They were the, the lead singers for the Starship. So we had this incredible band. I mean, it, you know, it really spoiled me. <laughs> playing another band after that because these guys were so phenomenal it's it's really uh the musicians when when they talk to each other musically on stage an audience really uh realizes what's happening and they appreciate it so much more as opposed to just standing there and belting out material you know when they see people oh, on yeah. stage having a really good time exactly yes it, it's it, and there's no better feeling when when you write songs, and and everybody, first of all, they like the song that they're gonna play, right? Yeah, they, yeah. They, and they like it so much that they they put their their thing into it, and it comes out great. And you're sitting there playing with these wonderful musicians playing your music, songs that you wrote, and everybody's you know having a great time. And there's just something magic in it, you know, and it all clicks. They elaborate on the basic notes. They yes, make, they, they do. Yeah, they, they, they put they, the, the energy that 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 the song needs. No more, no less. They make it right. You know. That's what a pro does. Yeah. Now you, uh, your your record, uh, your record. Your, I'm just, I'm an old guy. Uh, your release of uh, Palm Tree Reality. Uh, you just re-released that. Yes, I did. It's a 20-year anniversary I, of Pop True Reality. Uh, you know, I, I love I love the lyrics, selling nowhere in a ship without a clock, which just well, says Coconut Grove and the whole groovy scene at, at that point, right? Yes. Let me tell you a story about that. Is that uh, my wife, who is Val. a really good lyricist, Valerie. Yeah. She... She came, she came to me one day as I'm Wait, you this. married a lyricist? Yeah. A singer how, how marries know? a lyricist? What a, what a, how, oh my God, that's phenomenal. What a concept. What yeah, a concept. oh my God. But she wrote down all of those lyrics and then 
handed them to me and says, here, big shot, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, what, what can you do with these? Yeah. And of course, right away, I put it as a ballad. And, said, and then she came back, she heard what I did. She said, no, 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 no. This is an upbeat song. You have to, and we like. I'm going. I'm going. But you know who I am. I'm. I'm. You know. I'm. I'm the musician here. I know. Just no. That song needs to be up. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And she was, of course, was right. And but she wrote all those lyrics and slapped them on the table, and that's what became the song after I, you know, corrected. That's legend. That's legend right there. Yeah. She and she also wrote. She also wrote the lyrics to "Slow Dance Thing," and um, well, we 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 basically um, the only one that I sat down and wrote with was uh, the Keys Disease, and um, um, and anything at all. But all the other stuff we collaborated on. Wow, that is that's wonderful. Yeah, she's that's a really great. talented lady, my wife. That is so cool. Now. You know, you have a new uh, unreleased album that uh, would uh, I would love to talk about because the songs are just, they're, they're kick-ass. They're really beautiful. It's beautiful material. Uh, Thank you. Uh, you with uh, Slick. Um, uh, if well, Love Could Talk. Oh, yeah, that's the Slick Hurley stuff. Yeah, If Love Could Talk. That's not my new record. That's the old Slick Hurley stuff. Oh, that's uh, all get, right. Get me on no, the right nobody's track. Nobody's ever here. heard it. Nobody's ever heard it. So yeah, it's new. <laughs> <laughs> it's new to people who have never heard it. It's brand. It's brand new. Yeah. If love could talk. Um, what, what I what I heard. Uh, Rocking down Dixie. Um, yeah. I love. It. It's a classic rollicking beat. I love the Tobacco Road reference there. Yeah. You know, you've got a little bit of everything. Uh, ain't it enough? Just a really lush musical bed there. Uh, Danny's Cadillac. Danny's um, Cadillac, yeah. Uh, what a fun song! What what a what a good storyline you have there. You know, people want to listen when you, you know a, a song is a story, and people well, are in, in, invested in the story as as you're singing it. And you love as a singer songwriter. Let, let me just take a, a side step here. Sure. You're looking at the audience, and you're watching people. You know, you're concentrating on what you're doing because that's that's the hardest job of all: concentrating on the the music, the words, your stagecraft, whatever you're doing up there. But you're also looking at the audience and you're trying to see who's who's getting it, who's looking, who's smiling, who's into it, right? Mm-hmm. And that's that's a, a big part of, uh, of live entertainment. In the last year, what bullshit? We, you know, and I'm sure, and you, you had told me that um, David uh, Crosby, uh, he was not doing uh, as as well with not being able to perform because he's a performer you're a performer are you doing things on zoom or how are you coping with with the uh, then we'll go back to uh, to the uh, if love could talk in the unreleased album but what what do you what are you how are you getting the music out now well for a while there i was uh, you know we were doing the live facebook stuff that was fun yeah, I haven't done done one of those in a while, a couple of weeks. Um, um, you know, p- putting s- stuff on uh, iTunes and all the other outlets. You know, I don't really like Spotify. I think the guy that runs Spotify is a dweeb. You know, just a I don't like him at all, and uh, I, I don't really 
want to put anything on Spotify, probably to my detriment, but, you know, he has said some stuff about artists that I just don't agree with. And, um, but, um, where can we find I mean, your music now? You can get it on iTunes. Um, just go to iTunes, Kevin Hurley, and, and, and punch me in, and, and it'll come up. The, uh, the Curly Band and, and, uh, and uh, Palm Tree Reality will be on there, Kevin Hurley. Mm-hmm. Um, but let me, you know, you know Terrence Bagby, right? Oh, sure, Terry, yeah. Well, did you know that that song, Danny's Cadillac, is about his dad? I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, Danny, I met Danny, I was doing a duo with Terry back in the day. Mm-hmm. And we played up at a place called, uh, in Hollywood Beach on the, on the uh, Intracoastal uh, called uh, Hunky Dory's. And we played several other places, but that was the main gig. And, um, and so I met I met his dad, and his dad was just what a character, what a, what a cool guy. He was, you know, just a smooth guy. You know, cool, uh, relaxed, always had a smile. He's got a and, cool uh, son too. I love Terrence. Yeah, and yeah. Terry's a great guy too. We're just the oldest of friends, and he's a great musician. Oh my God, he is. Yes, he is. He can do. He can sit down and do anything with anybody. Yes, he can. He's he's just he's just grown so much. Well, we both have from back in the day. You have. But anyways, Danny's Danny. Uh, uh, Danny used to. Uh, he was a gambler, and um, and he you know he bet the horses. He bet. Uh, he played the lotto. He did you know and probably other stuff. But so one time, we're we're doing a gig. And he pulls up in this new Cadillac, this new yellow Cadillac. Mm. And I went, whoa, man, what happened? He goes, well, he says, I pulled into the 7-Eleven, and I looked at my Donometer, and I bet those numbers, and I won the lotto. <laughs> so he went out and bought a new, a new Cadillac. <laughs> and so I, I wrote the song, Danny's Cadillac. Yeah, it's a really good song. It's a fun song. You mix and, you rock know, and horns in there. We use the Gloria Estefan. We use the sound machine horn, a horn section. Um, and uh, Teddy Malay did the arrangement. He was the uh, arranger for them. And he we used the, him and the uh, uh, sound machine horn section with, with for that song. Did uh, uh, Danny hear his song? I think so. Yeah, I think I got it to him before he passed away. Uh-huh. Also, the great Larry Hurt, who who passed away this last year, tremendous drummer, just one of the nicest guys, just but a tremendous musician and a, a wonderful person. He he played drums on that, and uh, I just had to mention him because he was such a good friend to me. And, and uh, but he, he, you know, and he made that song rock. Hmm. It was uh, oh yeah, you, you've got some great great sax work and some of the other material on the on the songs as well. Take another, take another yeah, look that's, rather. That's Daddy Ray Elviso, just uh-huh. a wonderful musician that was in Slick Hurley. You know, you you, uh, you you've been writing uh, some, uh, all type of material from here to there, from A to Z. Um, uh, we're gonna we're gonna talk about it. Uh, your take on the presidency that is a uh, may I say a kick-ass song, uh, much needed, um, and that is on the Sailing to Nowhere. 
Uh, Which one are you talking the, about? Uh, we're we're going to talk about it. Oh, that's that's the unreleased stuff. That's the stuff that's from from my new record coming out. Oh. Okay, yeah, we're going to talk about it. That's you know you can apply it to what's you know it's one of those songs I feel that the words, um, especially with the video that we have running with it, basically you know very political, but you could also. It could also be about a relationship you're having with somebody, you know. Yeah, um, uh, like uh, like the song uh, "One Night," which the, night, the video yeah. tells the story as much in pictures as the words tell it. Again, that's my that's wife. A beautiful. Gallery, it's put beautiful. all those together. It's yes, wonderfully I mean, put together. She, she's a tremendous talent, my wife. I and she's. She, you know what's the greatest thing is. What's that? She always backs everything I do. She, you know, I've, you know, I've had in the past, you know, uh, competition with previous relationships and stuff about my music, but with Valerie, uh, she supports. She supported me in in every way possible. Isn't that you know? Isn't that great? It is great. I, I owe her so much. You, you can't give back to people unless you're in uh, a relationship, a secure, loving relationship as well. It helps to give out to other people when you feel good about yourself and your, and your relationships. You're, you're absolutely right. I totally agree with that. Yeah. So, so let me ask you, all these songs you've been... What, what's the key to writing a good song? Heavy well, question here, Kevin. Heavy question here. <laughs> Uh, key to a good song is one that a lot of people can relate to. You know, uh, I when you're first starting out as a songwriter, you write stuff, and I and I have stuff every once in a while. I go back and listen to, and I go, the reason this song does not make it is is because it's all about you. It's all about, and it's not connecting. You know, mm-hmm. you have to connect. Um, I've never had a hit song. I've never, but I, you know, I, I, I tried, I've tried to get better as a songwriter. Um, when, when we released, um, in, in 2000, uh, Palm Tree Reality and, and, and actually had a CD release party and people were buying my CDs and, and writing to me on email what, what the songs meant to them. I was just totally, it was just, that's that's the best because people would say you know this song means this to me which when i wrote the song it didn't really mean that to me but this is what they got out of it this sure. is, and she said you know that that song helped me through a dark period i went oh you know what do you say doesn't it that's make you just, feel good it makes you feel great it makes yeah. you feel great yeah. and and also um you know a, a lot of what songwriting is is craft my friend uh panama red danny finley oh, uh, yeah who's written some incredible songs. Danny Finley is a, is a, is a great songwriter and guitar player and, and singer. Uh, but he told me, you know, because when I was learning to write and, and he was writing with with guys um, like Kinky Friedman, he, he was in uh, Kinky Friedman's band, Kinky Friedman and the Texas Jew Boys. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he so he says, you know, part of, a lot of the songwriting is craft. You know, you have to have a beginning, a middle, and an ending. You know, you have to craft the song, but it becomes art when you play it out and then people feel it, you know? 
and and I've always remembered that. And you know, you, you try to write out songs about people, things that people can relate to. You know, and not just love. I mean, you know, you have to write about like that song. We're, we're going to talk about it. That was directly. I'm trying to speak to people who, who, you know, are, are not going to let other ideologies bowl them over. Hmm. True, and music is one way to get to people. Sure, you, you talk. You talk about it. You know, you just don't let it go by, and the next thing you know. You know, um, you know you're you're working on a chain gang because <laughs> because you know the the uh, El Presidente said you have to. Well, um, fuck El Presidente is all I can say. Uh, and we're recording this, and we're recording this in the beginning of January, a a very riled up time uh, in, in in our politics. But but you know. But the hell with politics. Let's get back to music here. Amen. Uh, I'm sorry I said that, but look, we can say anything we like so far in America. Kevin, your association with Bobby Ingram is uh, is is epic. It's a it's the most um, uh, a, a great melding of the minds. You you come together, uh, and and it's so easy to watch you and listen to you when you were playing with him. Because he's such an easy person to to play with and sing with. He sure was. He sure was. He was. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I I learned so much from the guy. Um, you you worked on the, the album Postcards from Coconut Grove with him. Yes, we did. We uh, we did that um, uh, the, the the Flick reunion. You remember the Flick, don't you? Oh yeah, I I played there the last. Two weeks they were open. I had just come down from Pennsylvania in New Jersey um, in the, the Thanksgiving of '73, and uh, played there uh, the same weekend that uh, Dion was there. Um, cool. uh, a few other people, um, few other people, um, Mike, uh, Mike and Barbara. Mike and Barbara Smith. Yes. Yeah. Well, Bobby, one of his main songs throughout his career was uh, "Steal Away." Right. I loved going to Coconut Grove and listening to him at Monty's Conk. And yeah. I actually got to play there a few nights uh, because I had uh, someone, a friend of mine who was an artist, paint Monty's picture. And while he was sitting there getting his portrait painted, I whipped out my guitar and I played Monty's conch, very tasty, and the lemon wedge is free. So I just wrote the <laughs> wrote the song. He says, "Okay, Buzz, what do you want?" I said, "Just let me play a night in the grove, you know, at, at the conch, you know." So I I had that experience. I wasn't there cool. for a, a long time, but it it was wonderful. And I was I just I, I had no idea what I was doing at that point. Uh, but it was wonderful to listen to Bobby there because his stories were so vivid. Yeah. He was a storyteller. And he was a great storyteller. Yeah. He really was. He, uh, we did, you know, he had, he had stopped playing professionally because, you know, he wanted to take care of his family. And, uh, and he was a, um, he worked up at Sunrise Theater as, as a, um, a lighting and a sound uh, technician. Right. And he, you know, joined the union. And union everything. guy. Huh? Union guy. Yes, he was. Yeah. 
and and um, and so, but the uh, the South Florida Folk Club uh, got a hold of him, and they wanted him to do a show, and we did uh, a show up there um, on um, Los Olas Boulevard. Um, John Boyle owned this restaurant, Poets, and they had like a little side room where they did. Um, little show, you know, little folk stuff. And, and John Boyle loved, loved Bobby from back in the day. He's always trying to get Bobby to do stuff. And Bobby, um, he, part of him just didn't want the fame. He had seen what fame had done to some of his friends. So it kind of like put him in arm's length. You know, he was a very, he loved music for all the right reasons. You know, he played music for all the right reasons. And, and he stuck by that. And, um, which was frustrating for me because I was a young buck and I wanted, so uh, I've got two stories I'll tell you. Okay. So the, so the F- Florida Folk Club, they actually did um, advertising for this. And so we went up there to do the thing and there was a line down the street, swear, I swear to God. And so we had, we, we found, you know, we, we came to the close that we're going to have to do two shows because there were so many people. Yeah. And Bobby just killed that night the story it was so great and then when he stopped talking and he played you could hear a pin drop and we played and it was just incredible right and so we did the two shows they emptied the place out and let the new crowd in and we did these two shows and very it was as far as i could tell was a huge success you know it's like bobby ingram's back Mm. and i so we're driving home and he goes so how'd I do? I said, what, what are you talking about? They, they loved you. You were incredible. I says, I, I don't know if I was, I'm going, Oh my God. Right. So we never did another of those. So again, John Boyle who did, he, he, you know, he was a um, promoter and he promoted a show, a Jimmy Buffett show at the orange bowl. And he wanted Bobby to open the show. Just do a couple songs and off. So Bobby and I, we rehearsed, you know, and and I, I thought this is great. I'll be able to, this is, you know, we're gonna have it's gonna be great. Orange Bowl, and, right? The Orange Bowl. Yeah. And so, at the last minute, Bobby um, pulled out, and I was just so because we, you know, what we actually rehearsed because <laughs> most of the shit time we didn't rehearse. We just said, you know, this one, yeah, I know that one. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Blah blah blah, and um. And um, uh, he pulled out, and I just, you know, I was pining to talk to him for about six months. It was just, I was so pissed. But oh. he had his reason. I look back now, and I said, you know, if he did, you know, he just, he just, he figured that, you know, we wouldn't even get be able to get through a song that they would be throwing shit at us, and it would be bad. And he was probably right, you know. He's, you know, it, it would have been painful, but we could have said. We, we played at the Orange Bowl, you know, that's, yeah. that's, but you know what, um, in the long run, it's all good. He, it's he was, all he good. was a tremendous talent. He, he was, he was, I, I adored his work. Um, I, I want, I want an, I want another story from you about uh, Neil Young's boat. Oh, okay. Because he used to tie his boat up right outside the raw bar, uh, Monty's well, Conk, Coconut this is Grove. the deal. Um, um, he was Neil Young 
and Stephen Stills were doing this recording of Criteria at the still, you know, the Stills and Young band. And uh, and Crosby had told Neil because I guess Neil mentioned he wanted to, to get a boat, so Crosby said, "Well, you go see my friend Bobby Ingram. He plays at a place called Monty's Monty Trainers down in Coconut Grove. He's a sailor, you know. I mean, Bobby Bobby helped um, Crosby sail through the Panama Canal and then out all the way to California with his boat when he bought his boat in Panama." Wow! And so Bobby knows Bobby is a great sailor. He, you know, he he was great. So, anyways, we're playing. I'm playing with Bobby at Monkey's, and um, and uh, you know we, you know how Monkey's the back wall of the stage was kind of like a little rocky. It was like coral rock. Yeah. You know, all of a sudden we stop a song, and then we hear this voice goes, "Hey, Bobby! Hey, hey Bobby!" Uh, Crosby sent me over here. He said you could help me buy a boat. And then Bobby turns, he turns to the mic, and goes, "We're gonna take a break. We'll be right back." <laughs> and and we went outside and, and we met Neil, and um, and so Bobby helped him buy his first boat. He bought two boats, but the first boat was a fifty foot trophy, which is it's it's an old wooden. Uh, made back in like in the 30s and the 20s mm. it's an old wooden yacht like much like uh john kennedy's the the something fits the oh, the honey fits the honey fits which yeah. is up and was which is up in uh um uh, deerfield beach i've seen that boat i have pictures of it and um it was just like that just a little motor yacht beautiful because neil is a wood person he loves wood mm. and so what he did was he took the boat bought the boat and then parked it right behind our the stage at Monty's the first the first dock that's where he put his boat and um, and uh, what happened to me was I uh, I went out and played some football out in Key Biscayne I dislocated my shoulder and um, which is the most painful thing you could ever have done it because some people that just pops right back in mine didn't and it was painful so I, I was in a I was in a cast from my neck to my stomach to hold my arm so it wouldn't move right, right? yeah and so well, a couple of days later I see I see Neil right outside of Monty's and he goes what the hell happened to you and I told him what happened and he goes uh, well listen he says, man, just because you did that to your arm doesn't mean you can't come and hang out with me on my boat. So, you know, and I lived, I lived up on Tiger Tail, like a half a block from it. So oh, right, every just day, right down the hill. I'd get up, I'd get up, I'd make, I'd make me and uh, Neil some coffee, and we'd have coffee on his boat, and then I started working for him. And then Bobby, and he wanted a bigger boat, so he bought this, like, uh, 80 foot Baltic trader, which he still has to this day. He parks over in the Bahamas or something, but, uh, he totally refurbished that. And, uh, but that's the kind of people you meet with Bobby Ingram, you know, it wow. was really great. Wow. Yeah. There's, I, I've got Bobby Ingram stories as well, but I don't want to take up your time here. I, I want to talk about uh, Jim Mason and, uh, and your, uh, writing with him. And uh, yeah. tell, tell us about who Jim Mason is and uh, and what you guys are doing right now. Well, Jim Mason um, 
first of all, is, is a really good musician. He he was actually in a band with my friend uh, Osbach called Wings, and uh, they they had a record deal and they they toured around. But uh, later he became a producer. Uh, he's a really good songwriter, and he produced Firefall. He produced mm-hmm. their you know their biggest albums, and uh, he also produced Poco and uh and chris hillman um and just you know a bunch of other acts he's, he's really really talented uh producer and, and musician and songwriter so he our mutual we met mutually through our my friend again john brown from coconut grove did and, you ever and, buy a guitar strap from john brown because i know that he used to want to sell no, them to everybody that played over at uh, where was it? Uh, uh, oh, John Martin's. On, uh, yeah, John Martin's in Coca- in uh, Carl Gables. Right. He also had the the. He also did the um, open mic night at the Taurus too. Right. Remember that? Right. Yeah, John made wonderful straps. I have like three or four <laughs> that I use every day. You know, yeah. uh, he was a master craftsman. John. Right. John could do. He could. You know. He 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 his. He he made sales. I mean, he made anything out of leather or canvas. He was a tremendous craftsman, mm. and and a great singer songwriter. I wrote songs with him too. Um, but um, but let's Jim see, Mason. Let's, yeah, but, Jim. So I met Jim through uh, John, and he he lived up here in Tampa, and he had a radio show up here, and I did his radio show once. Um, through the through the telephone like this mm-hmm. and then years later my wife's father got sick and she went up to take up here to take care of him and i stayed in miami to uh finish selling the house and, and um so finally i moved up here um and mason lived up here in tampa i said oh good i got i already got a friend there Right, and I I called him up. I said, Jim, it's Kevin. I moved to Tampa. Let's get together. He goes, How cool! Well, that's great because I I've moved to Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> so then, about a year later, uh, they 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 got I don't know. They just got tired of the winter there, and they moved back here. They sold their house and moved back here. So we've been writing songs together. Um, uh, he he's working on another project right now. Uh, with this girl, a woman named uh, Wendy Barmore, who's a very, very talented singer and songwriter. And uh, we've kind of t- taken a little break from songwriting, but we've written about 10 songs together. And those are the songs that, that are on my YouTube channel with the videos. So we uh, go we to that, Kevin that, Hurley YouTube or Kevin Hurley Music YouTube? Yeah, Kevin Hurley Music on YouTube. And he wrote this beautiful song. It's called If I Needed." if I needed you more about the, the pandemic. Right. You know, and, um, uh, that's one of the songs we collaborated with. Um, also we're going to talk about it, but I wrote Valor and I went to Cuba, uh, about four, four years ago mm-hmm. and, uh, had just incredible adventure or just, and, and the Cuban people were so wonderful. That was the best part of the trip was the Cuban people. They were just incredible. So well, I came back home, and as and as I do a lot, I watch TV and just mindlessly play guitar, and I came up with this uh, chord changes, and it was very 
Latiny, or you know, you know, honky Latiny, <laughs> white boy Latiny. So, you know, white boy Latiny. So, uh, anyways, I kind of tucked it away. I recorded it on my phone, and then, like a year or more later, I said, like, "Ooh, what's this?" I pressed the button. I got that's pretty good, and I couldn't come up with any words for it. So I gave it to Jim Mason, and he just wrote it. We wrote this song called Havana Harbor. Right. And and um, and uh, added horns it's just to been it. Nice. He's real. He's the kind of person you can write with. That um, you go. You know, Jim. I'm, I'm not crazy about that. He goes. All right. He'll just write something else. You know. He's just always willing to try something different. Nothing is in cement. You know what I mean? Well, when it clicks, you'll know. Yes, exactly. And he's he's very agreeable. It's real easy to write with him. You know, it's just really easy to write with him. What's uh, do you have any dates on when this is coming out? The uh, well, it's not. It's it's gonna be in the next month or so. I'm not. I'm not gonna delay this. I'm gonna. I got a couple more songs that I'm finishing. I I might I, I might do a Bob Dylan song that I really like. Over, you know, and do my version of it. Um, but uh, yeah, it's going to be out in a month or so. Okay, uh, that would be uh, January or, or or February of 2021. Probably, probably sometime in February. Yeah. And um, you know, I'm I'm calling this. I'm thinking I'm calling it the, the title of the album will be or album of the what of the download <laughs> <laughs> will be all all over the map because. Of, the songs they're you know um nothing it's like like nothing sounds like uh one night nothing sounds like havana harbor they're all just different flavors of music and that's how i like music uh it's you know i've always i like music i don't have to really write like the stick hurley band that was a rock album and all those songs were in the same genre but with uh you know with Palmchir Reality on this new record. Yeah, you know, there's some different flavor there for each song. You know, wow. you you want things to be different. You want to don't want to do the same thing all the time. Let no. me let me ask you this. Uh, you you probably have a more than a couple of guitars, but what is your favorite? I like to ask singer songwriters what their favorite instrument is. What what's yours to play? Well, I have a, a really nice uh, Martin. OPC uh, 35 and it's uh, it's just um, like a concert body mm-hmm. but it's got you know how like on a D35 they have the, the three piece back right it's like three different shades of wood you know rosewood uh, I have that guitar and and my really what's becoming my favorite lately is I have this Taylor with a cedar top and mahogany back and sides that I, I keep that in the house now. It just sounds so good. Taylor's made you know? in America are really wonderful guitars. You get uh, you get ones that are produced in Mexico uh, for less than a thousand or so, but the really good ones are just made here, and they're so sweet. Yeah, you know, um, I think I happen to think that Taylors are most of them are way overpriced, but you know that's up to you know that's just me. Um, uh, but they, they they have some great sounding guitars for sure. Well, let me ask you what you what, uh, 
What do people not know about you? What would you want people to know about you that they do not already know? Your fans. Mm-hmm. You mean my fan? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm what your fan, fan, and there's more than one of me. Uh, um, what don't me What don't they know about you? What What new thing? Um. Now don't. Well, I don't know if people know or not, but I still believe, uh, and I'm not a hippie. You know what I'm saying? I never really was a hippie. Hippie. I mean, I, I hung out with hippies, yeah. but the, the the philosophy, the one philosophy that the hippies had right was, you know, to find happiness, to have peace and love and happiness, you know, and, and, I, and I truly believe that. I, 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 you know, that's why we're here is, is to, to find happiness. Um, a lot, you know, I, in, in the past, I know people think that, uh, you know, I've had a lot of comments that, you know, I'm a, an angry guy or this or that. Um, that's part of me, too. Mm-hmm. I, I don't feel like I'm that way so much anymore. But um, I really believe, you know, that, you know, things can get better. Absolutely. And and the purpose of life is to be happy. And I agree with exactly. you. Exactly. That's right. You are so correct. I, so I, uh, I, I, I thank you for, yeah, we'll end on the happy note. I, I, I love the fact that uh, you're, you're talking to me about all these things. You have dropped more names than anyone has ever dropped on, on a show of mine. Uh, unbelievably, uh, you are uh, a wonder in the musical world and, uh, and, and for us in, in South Florida. You, you know, you're, you're a big name here in South Florida. People know you. They love you. They come to see you, and that, that's that's important, uh, you know, for your own peace of mind, because uh, you're, you're putting out great, great material, and, and uh, I, I, everybody appreciates that. That's very cool. Okay, the check's in the mail there, Buzz. Yes, sir. <laughs> Absolutamente. No, you, you know, I owe a lot to South Florida. You know, I, I was able to, to, I was able to make a living playing music, singing, and playing guitar. You know. And, and 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 the people of South Florida accepted me. Uh, uh, when I came to the Grove, uh, it was just amazing. You know, um, I will never forget it. Well, we, I had some great musical experiences there with some great musicians that I have played with there. Well, we we all 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 of your fans, all the people here, the music aficionados, we we all appreciate what you've done, who you are. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Kevin. Uh, much love. Uh, have a great 2021, and uh, say hi to Valerie. Keep writing, Valerie. Yes, and you say hi to Kathy, and thanks for asking me. I sure um, will. Thank you so much. That's on the record and off the wall for this week. Uh, this program will repeat in one week, and who knows who we're going to have on next time. You never know. But thank you every mu- very much, everybody. And uh, this is Buzz Fleischman. I am signing off. Bye-bye.